Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Are you ready? You guys braved the elements, so I believe God has something very good for us today. Amen? You believe it? How many people believe it in here? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm convinced. Amen? So we started a uh, new series called Imager, and uh, so I wanted basically to uh, begin by giving you the plan of the ages and by showing you the doctrinal and biblical view of history, because that's really what's been debated over the years, uh, ever since evolution has been uh, brought into the mainstream. They're basically saying that Genesis is not history. That, uh, you know, but if Genesis is not history, then John 3.16 is compromised. Everything in the New Testament is compromised. If, if we don't have an understanding of what true history is. So the greatest cover-up in history is the cover-up of history. Amen? <clears throat> the enemy doesn't want you to know the true details of what's going on because it reveals who he is. Reveals what he's doing. And so this information is opposed. It's absolutely opposed. He does not want you knowing this. Uh, in fact, uh, it was 2016, uh, around 2015, 2016, the Lord began to reveal some things to me in regards to what I'm about to share with you over these next few weeks. And uh, praise God. It was really revelatory, and we began to see some great things. Great things began to open up to us. But guess what? The attacks came. And you know you're on the right track when the attack comes. And uh, it wasn't just a few months later I got attacked in my health in regards to that. Now, of course, I'd opened the door to some things in my life, you know, and some things went on in my life that did that, but he used that as an opportunity. When revelation knowledge comes, see, he doesn't want you to be free. He wants you to be a slave. And so anytime a slave begins to approach any kind of freedom, then he wants to bring them back into slavery. I was reading today in the book of Exodus about how that when Moses initially went to see Pharaoh and began to declare, let my people go, that, uh, you know, Pharaoh just didn't go, oh, well, yes, absolutely, get out of here, you know. The Pharaoh said, well, guess what, since you're so interested in going off and worshiping your God on the mountain, he said, well, you're idle. You just don't have enough to do. So I'm going to make you make your bricks without straw. I'm not going to get any straw for you anymore. You're going to have to get it yourself. What happened was, is any time we take a step Forward. Anytime we take a step into the liberty that is in Christ, the enemy will always step forward to oppose that. Because he wants you to back down. He wants you to say, well, maybe that's not for me. Maybe that's not what I need to do at this time. I'm not ready. Have you ever said that? I'm just not ready for this. But if we continue to step forward... That meant even Moses was discouraged going to Pharaoh. He was discouraged about it. He said, listen, I went and told Pharaoh what you told me to tell him, and it didn't happen. In fact, I'm the most unpopular person in this entire world right now. Come on now. But God said, I will deliver them. I will set them free. Go to Pharaoh again. Come on now. We've got to keep going. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Amen? Come on now. Are you awake out there? Is everybody cold? Okay, all right. So we've been talking about prehistory in the sense that we need to understand the initial purpose for man's creation. Why were you created? See, what we have to understand is that we are so far removed from the original creation that we don't know any other existence. We're several thousand years from the creation of Adam, close to 6,000 6, years from the creation of Adam, that we don't understand nor know 
what he was originally created for or intended unless we find it in the scriptures. We've got to find it first in the scriptures. Now, the Bible isn't real explicit about the world that was before Adam, but it does have implicit scriptures that give us light as to what happened during that time. Now, I'm not someone who believes in a young earth. I do not believe that the earth is just 6,000 years old. I believe that the recreation of the earth is 6,000 years old. But I do believe that there was another creation, and that other creation was destroyed in a flood that destroyed the earth. The flood of Noah did not destroy the earth. It just killed every living thing that was on the earth, but it didn't destroy the earth. The flood that was before destroyed the earth, brought it into absolute and utter ruin or vanity, as the Bible says. And so we've got to understand this prehistory to understand why man was created, what was man's purpose, what was the initial design of man, so that we can begin to realize that in Christ Jesus, we have been brought back to that place. Oh, you're not alive. We just call this service off. Is that what we're going to do? We're just going to call it off? It's cold. Let's, let's just quit. Let's just sit down. Come on now. God's got some good things for us to hear. And to, it's time to, you know, when you receive revelation, you're open to it. You say, yes, I want it. Amen. You're like a receiver out in that big Super Bowl game. And you're out there running your route. And you're going to catch the ball where God wants you to catch the ball, not where you want to. Come on now. Okay. All right. Okay, run your route today. Let's, let's receive from the Lord. Amen? And so Jesus came to rectify. And see, the, the, where the issue is and the reason why people live defeated lives and continue to go in the cycles that they go in is because we have focused just one emphasis of the salvation message, which is the forgiveness of sins. And thank God for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm so grateful to be forgiven of my sin, that Jesus' blood has cleansed and washed me from all sin. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus cleaned you up so he could fill you up, so that he could empower you, so that he could use you, so that he could begin to dwell in you and live and move within you, and that your life is no longer trying to live for God. It's allowing God to live through you. Amen? Do you believe that? And so we're going to talk about it. So let's turn to our first scripture, very first scripture in the Bible. Hallelujah. Which is going to be... Well, we'll probably need to. All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I talked a little bit about that. So, as we look at the board here, I'm going to show you basically these phases of the earth ages. There are three earth ages that are in the scripture. There's the world that then was, the world that now is, and the world that is to come. So the earth that then was, was an earth that we're not acquainted with. It's something that is uh, implicit in the Bible, not explicit. But the rule of biblical interpretation is that we always interpret the implicit with the explicit. So the bulk of the Bible has to be our basis for interpreting anything that is implied in the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we can see patterns. Everything in that book has a pattern to it. Everything that is written in that book shows things that are in the unseen realm and shows things that are in the seen realm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen? And so we have to see that every character or personality in the Bible mimics or imitates characteristics of unseen personalities. So we begin to see Jesus personified in various types and shadows and persons in the Bible. 
starting first, you see, with um, um, uh, Abel. Starting first with Abel and then moving on to, um, you know, various other aspects of the David, King David. We begin to see Joseph as a type. We begin to see all kinds of different types. Well, Satan is also personified as personalities in the Bible, starting initially with Cain, moving on to Nimrod, moving on to, you know, the various uh, pagan kings that are there. Saul is a type of Satan. So you have to understand the Saul and David is a, is a picture of Satan's attitude towards the anointed. Oh, are you with me here? See, everything is shown. God shows it over and over and over and over and over again in parallels. And you can get ideas and see things. Most people will abandon the stories of the Old Testament thinking, well, those aren't really applicable. We need to stay in the New Testament. No, the Old Testament shows you types. It shows you examples of how the enemy works and how God works. Amen? Now, they're not perfect people. They do not even pale in comparison to the perfection of our God, but yet they show pieces. They give us insight into how God operates. And so we see Satan and and personalities like Absalom, Korah. See, there's two personalities that are trying to emerge in the earth realm today. There's the person of God, and there's the person of the adversary, the Satan. And he's trying to bring his attitude, his, um, his, his demeanor, his personality in the earth. And how's he doing it? Through us. We begin to project and begin to animate according to what is going on in the unseen. Are you with me today? Okay. So what we see that is not of God is animation from the kingdom of darkness. What we see of God is animation of the kingdom of God operating in the earth. How does he operate in the earth? He operates through the doorway of humanity. Okay? The primary, and I'm going to say the only way that God begins to show himself in the earth is through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are... The body of Christ. But there's another body out there. There's in Adam, and there's in Christ. Adam sold out to Satan completely, absolutely sold out to the devil. So therefore, the body of Adam, which resembles all of fallen humanity, is under the sway and auspices of the wicked one. So therefore, anything that the nature of the wicked one, the human humanity that has fallen, operates within that. Even good people. Hello. I'm telling you, there is this idea within the church that every human being is a child of God. That is not what the Bible teaches. Is humanity created by God? Absolutely. But because of the fall of man, Adam decided to cease to be a son of God. He decided to be a son of the devil. And in fact, a lot of people get confused by this because they think, well, we're all children of God. No, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. I'm I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry to tell you this. You can't just sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya and think that everybody is a child of God. The most religious sect in Israel and in the world was the Pharisees. But yet in John chapter 8, Jesus looks at them and says, You are of your father, the devil. Oh my goodness. 
They lived more sanctified and devoted lives than many of us here today. They observed things that would put great uh, strains upon our lifestyle and upon how we do. They had routines that were, if you looked at them, you'd say, oh my goodness gracious, they're certainly godly. They're certainly connected with God. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He said, you're of your father, the devil. So that means that in Adam, oh, I can tell you don't like this. In Adam, all die. Why do they all die? Because they're all children of the devil. But the Bible says in Christ, all are made alive. Why? Because through the atoning work of Jesus... Through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. He took people that would believe in him. That would become identified with him. And raised them up with him. To be seated with him in the heavenly places. At the right hand of God. You are seated in the highest position that any created being could ever be seated in if you're in Christ Jesus here this morning. And life abides in you. Life, you are swimming in absolute and total life. You are in life. Oh, I wish you would get a hold of the fact that you are literally drowning in the life of God inside and out. But you might be saying here, Pastor, that's not a reality right now to me. All I see is death. All I see is lack. All I see is discouragement and despair and despondency. But that doesn't take away from what God's done on the inside of you. See, here's the problem, guys. We have gotten into a workspace emotionally driven religion. Where we feel good about ourselves when we do everything right. We feel bad about ourselves and that God doesn't listen to our prayers because we didn't do everything right today. And then we think that emotional experiences are always transformative. And they're not. They're not. You cannot equate emotion and transformation They don't go together all the time. Hallelujah. Oh, come on. You know, Kelly came and and prayed that prayer. You know, I knew why it took. Because I prayed that prayer many times with her. I have. She wasn't emotional. No, she had some tears. It, It touched her. But other times when we did this, she was overly emotional. Because people tend to think that emotionalism equals transformation. It doesn't. It's when you've made a decision of your will. And that's what the change is. When you said, I'm going to do this. This is it. And you're not manipulated by emotion. Oh, come on now. There's people that come up and weep and weep and weep. And you think, surely God is moving on them. And they're in the same mess the next week. Come on now. But it's people that just, yeah, they're going to cry. There's no, no problem. God doesn't mind you crying and things of that nature. But it's not. It's, it's a determination. It's a willingness. It's a fact that I have set my will to do what God is asking me to do. And you know what? I'm going to, you know, and, and that's when you know transformation has happened. Because, you know, you'll have... Brother Hagin tells the story about a guy that came into his church and, and he was, um, you know, someone that, uh, you know, was, had been raised in church and, and his whole family had went to church for years and he had went to church for years and, and he would get into trouble. He would wrestle with the drinking in his life and things of that nature and he would come to the altar and he'd blubber and cry and everybody would just gather around him and, they would pray over him and hug him, and, and every time they would say stuff like, oh, man, he's changed this time. 
He's changed this time. Well, guess what? A week, month later, we're back to the same thing. There's a lot of people that live that way. And they're overly emotional. I'm getting on to somebody. I know I am. They're overly emotional. Hello? And, uh, and you think, man, God's doing something in our life, you know. But we're, we're equating emotionalism with transformation. See, I can be touched but not transformed. Hello. How many have lived that? You, you were touched by a service or you came to church, you're touched by it, but, you know, oh, that was so sweet. I just love the Lord. I just, but it didn't change anything. You were back to your old evil ways by four o'clock Sunday afternoon. Come on. Come on now. He said there was one guy that came in. He was the baddest of the bad. I mean, he was, he ran the town hard and everybody knew his name. And he came to the back of the church and came to the altar, bowed his knee without one bit of emotionalism whatsoever. Just received Christ. Not even a tear. And people said, well, he ain't got nothing. He ain't got nothing. He became the most upstanding Christian in that whole church. Why? Because he aligned his will, not just his emotions. Emotions are temporal. Because the thing that made you cry on Sunday morning can make you mad on Sunday night. Amen. You can be touched but not transformed. Are you with me? I'm here to tell you there's two types of people on planet earth. There's in Adam and there's in Christ. Now it's the Pharisees who began to coin the phrase sinner. But that's not really... What, what it's about. Now, the Bible talks about sinning and sin. And religious people began to call them sinners. Okay? But basically what that name is, is in Adam. Because if you want to go biblically, you've got to go to the fact that in Adam all die. So we were locked into Adam before this was, you know, before Jesus came. We were locked into Adam. We were locked into death. And Satan was camping on the fact that no son of Adam could ever defeat death. And so he believed that his reign was eternal. Because as long as Adam and the sons of Adam existed, he held God to his word that God had set into motion. Because, see, all of creation is held together by a word from God. So that means that he has set rules, regulations, justice into the earth. Amen? So Satan, like a good seedy lawyer, begins to take the rules that God has established and weaves himself into them to where he can begin to illegally... Legally, that's a phrase we learn real well. Illegal, legal means of constricting God's creation and keeping God's creation bound. And as long as he kept God's creation bound, he was able to exert his rule and reign and bring about his kingdom into the earth. And so forever, man was in the law of sin and death, which was instituted by God. The day you eat it, you shall surely die. In fact, he says this in the actual Hebrew. He says, in the day that you eat it, you will die, die. Okay? So what does that mean? That means that death is not just what we would call cessation, but it's actually a form of existence. It means that Adam, when he transgressed, died spiritually by being separated from 
the source of life. He basically said this, I am no longer a son of God. I turn and become a son of Satan. I pledge my allegiance and my life over to the devil. Come on now. Isn't that what we do when we get born again? I am no longer a son of the devil. I am no longer a slave to sin. I turn and become a son of God. Do you see what I'm saying? See, that's what repentance is. Do you see what I'm saying? See, Adam did the initial turn away, disconnected. So that meant that his spirit was separated from the life of God and he died spiritually. He progressively experiences death in his soul, his mind, his will, and emotions, and inevitably will experience physical death, which it took him over 900 years in order to get to that place. So 930 some odd years, it was a progressive death, separated from the source of God, tormented in the mind through death, working in the soul, and then inevitably dying physically. And this is a condition that we've learned to be accustomed to because we know nothing else. We absolutely do not have any idea of what Adam lived like before the fall. And then Jesus shows up. Come on. Jesus, the last Adam. That means that he's exactly like the first Adam. Oh, you're not getting this. Are you getting a hold of this? Okay. So we've got to, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself, way ahead of myself, but I'm trying to be led by the Spirit because of lack of time, and I don't want you to freeze anymore. So, but, uh, but we have to understand that not all of humanity are children of God. There are children of God and there are children of the devil. And in fact, First John chapter 5 tells us that all the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And that's hard for us to take. Because we look at the world around us and we see the Grand Canyon and we see the beauty of the redwoods in California... We see the beauties of the mountains, the beauties of all of uh, that God has created. But it pales in comparison because this world has been brought into the subjection of sin. And the same judgment that became, came on Adam, which is Adam, Adam, which means red man from the dirt, began to be also cursed the Adma, which he came from. So it, it shows you that what Adam was taken from... He was master over. So everything that happened to him happens to the environment. So his sin and his turning over to the wicked one subjected the world to a satanic reign. Now, most people will say, well, you know, then why isn't there, isn't it just absolutely ugly? Because, you know, when you see in movies... Wherever the devil abides, it's ugly and, and, and nasty and corroded and all this stuff. You have to understand that Satan was an angel. Angels were created in beauty. They operated in opulence and in beauty. And that's the reason why when you see Beyonce and Taylor Swift and all of these various witches that come up and cast their spells on people, they look like the epitome of grace. Oh, you're not. Satan, you know, he's... Here, here, we're going to talk about this. It wasn't a snake that talked to Eve. It was a nakash. He was a glittering, glowing, shining, beautiful being. 
Because you don't get tempted by ugly things. It's beautiful. You can't keep your eyes on it. In fact, one of the titles of the wicked one is enchanter. To enchant. You're not enchanted by a scab. You're enchanted by things that have beauty to them. Amen? Okay. All right. I'm going way too far and I need to back up, okay? All right. So in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So here we have a picture. We have the earth and then we have the heavens. And we see from the scripture, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are three heavens. Now, if you're a proponent of string theory and you're into phys- uh, physics, you'll realize, and as they have said, that there are upwards of 10 to 11 dimensions, but that's not heavens. Those are just dimensional planes within those heavens. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the reason why God can be everywhere at once is because he is outside of time and he is in all dimensions. So that means he can be with Tom and he can be with Patrick right now, right now at the same time because he he operates in all Ten dimensions. Amen? Now we live in a three-dimensional world. You're only seeing three dimensions of me. There is a fourth dimension that I'm not going to show you. But there are three dimensions. So any way that I turn, you're going to see three dimensions. God lives in a realm of multi-dimensions and multi-dimensionalities. But also, spirits do as well. So they have something over us in the sense that they're not necessarily... Now, Satan and his minions, his fallen angels, which is not a name that's in the Bible. There's no scripture that calls them fallen angels. It just calls them angels. And we've kind of messed up that word. Because we think they're fat little babies with wings. And that is not what they are. Angel is not a formal title, it's a function. It just means messengers, all it means. Now see, I'm an angel because I'm giving you a message today. Come on now. So that tells me this, that angels are functioning messengers. How does the kingdom of darkness and how does the kingdom of light begin to operate and manifest in the physical realm, it manifests because messages are transferred from the unseen to the seen through the doorway of humanity. So what do angels do? They bring messages. Their messages are meant to minister. I don't know if you're getting a hold of this. How many have ever, uh, you know, many times when I was going through what I went through physically, I would have symptoms in my body and I would hear this coming out. You're okay. Don't worry about it. It's not what you think it is. Where did that come from? Well, I understand the Holy Spirit dwells and abides in me. I understand that the Word of God is living and active in me. But guess what? That felt like something outside. It was an angel. It was an angel. I've also experienced symptoms in my body where I heard this. You're going to die. I'm going to kill you dead. I'd be up here worshiping. Up here worshiping, getting ready to minister. You know. And uh, the whole time he's telling me, I'm going to kill you while you preach. And I felt it too. I felt it. I mean, I I was feeling bad, you know. How many remember the time I had to wear that vest? Had to wear that vest here, preach with that vest on. 
And he'd say, I'm going I'm to shock you with that vest. You're going to get shocked right in front of everybody. I said, well, good. Well, people think the Holy Ghost came on me or something. <laughs> come on now. I mean, he would seek to intimidate me. Where'd that come from? It didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from the Word of God abiding in me. It didn't come from my angel. It came from another source. So how does the kingdoms manifest? They manifest through words. Strongholds are no longer up above. They're right in here. And what he chooses to do is he tries to tell you things to motivate you and to get you to buy in to the information. Amen? See, the goal is, is that, and, and just, just like Kelly said, what are you feeding on? See, if I'm feeding on CNN all the time, then the malevolent angels have more information that they can use. Well, you saw what they said on CNN. You saw what, what he said on that report. You know, you saw what WebMD said about your situation, you know. You went through all the links. Well, I saw them too, and I'm going to use little pieces of them. Have you ever looked at a page and certain things get highlighted? That's, that's, that's illumination that they're trying to do to get you to believe something that is contrary to what is true. But have you also read this and words jumped out at you? Well, the angels and the Holy Spirit use this and they begin to get you convinced. Oh, come on now. Get you convinced that the word is true. Yes, I can believe in this. Yes, I can hold on to this. Yes, this is the truth. But he also uses other forms of media. The reason why you have internet coming at you 24-7 is to build beliefs. It's to get you to think a certain way. They call television programming for a reason. They are getting you conditioned in your mind to receive certain things and to act accordingly. And that's the reason why generations will accept, one generation will not accept something and another generation will accept something. It's because the situation, the, the, the information has continued to be hurled and hurled and hurled until it's finally penetrated the mental fabric of humanity. Hello. See, the devil can't take you over. Now, there are people that will say, well, the devil just, you know, who was it, uh, Nipsey Russell, the devil made me do it. Nothing could be further from the truth. The enemy understands this. He understands that humanity must operate within their will. Okay? Lester Summerall talked about a demonized boy that he met in the Philippines. This demonized boy was so filled with demonic power that he could translate. He would be in one space and disappear and show up hundreds of miles away. It was documented. This wasn't just hearsay. It was documented. Well, he went to a Lester Summerall meeting and got delivered. Lester Summerall said, Listen, you know, the enemy, you know, he operated in you and did all kinds of miraculous signs in you and, and uh, influenced you to do certain things. He said, did he ever, now listen to this question, did he ever uh, tell you to do something and you didn't do it? And he said, yeah, all the time. He said, well, how did you do that? You were so demonized. He said, I told it no. Oh, if someone would get a revelation of that. 
God set into the existence by giving the dominion to man the ability of choice. Now, there are some people that do not believe that God has given man choice. However, I'm just going to give you a couple of insights, and we'll look at it a little later as we go through these lessons. Over and over in the Scripture, God tells His people to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Remember that? Joshua said that. Uh, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, He told the children of Israel, he says, Today I have set before you death and life. Choose life. Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If there is no choice, there is no if. Listen, there are people that cannot believe that God cannot be as big as the Bible tells Him and not be in control of everything. But I submit to you that if you're a true student of the Bible, you realize that God is truly big, and part of His bigness is that He is not. Hello. So we've got all this kind of idea that God put this on me and God made this happen and and it's God who allowed this and it's God who allowed that and there's a lot of confusion. And one of the best schemes of the devil is to get you to believe that his actions, his works are actually the works of God. Can I tell you this? This isn't God's mess. Come on. Come on. It's not God's mess. God came as a rescuer. And yet we criticize him for doing and doing that. God came to rescue us. That's the reason why he's called Savior. Now it would be duplicitous and be, you know, uh, evil. For him to say that I'm a savior and then be an afflictor at the same time. Hello. Okay. I can tell you're confused. It's all right. Just let it wash over you. It's good. Now, people will take scriptures like you said in Isaiah. I create darkness. God says, I create darkness. Okay. Well, darkness isn't meant to be bad. Amen? Now, listen. How is it that God can create, seemingly create both things? Well, it's just like if this was a hammer, okay? Now, if I create a hammer, that means all of the uses for the hammer, everything that it's used for is created, that is used to drive nails into boards and fasten things together, Okay? It's used to pry nails, okay? Now, with the creation of all the wonderful positive attributes, there is also a creation of negative. Are you with me? I can use this to hit somebody with. That's not its original intention and design, but it's there. Why? Because any time we create something positively, there's also a negative to it. Are you with me? And so when God brought these things into the world, there's a positive to everything that He's done. But it can be perverted and twisted and used in a way that it is not meant to be. And that is the difference between God and Satan. God is the one who creates and brings original function and original design. Satan is known as the twister or perverter of the creative order. And that's the reason why we have men thinking they're women and women thinking they're men. 
people having different sexual proclivities that are outside of the original design. It's because it has been twisted. It has been perverted. The word wicked comes from the word wicker, which means twisted wood. And because Satan is not a creator, he has to take the creation and he has to make it do something that it's not designed to do. And when humanity joined league with Satan, we became part of a twisted creation. But yet the teaching today is that you're cool, you're okay, you're enough. Have you seen those things on Facebook? I'm enough. I'm enough. God says, I'm enough. I'm great. I'm wonderful. Now people will mistake what, you know, Rebecca's exhortation. They'll mistake that as saying, well, you know, she's just saying we're this and we're that. She's just saying what the Bible says. That's a big difference. To say that I'm okay doesn't have any kind of authority whatsoever. But what that does, what that says, and see, we're so used to living east of Eden that when we hear words like righteous and holy and just in regards to our life, it's almost as if we can't take them. We just go, like, oh, I don't know, don't be saying that to me. But see, it's not you as an Adamite, it's you as a Christian. And the goal is, is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To take what God's done on the inside, because just as Adam first died spiritually and progressively died in his soul to inevitably die in his body, Christ came in and reunited us with life in our spirit that progressively works out of our soul and inevitably will transform our body. Are you with me? So we've got to understand what the spirit of age. What is the spirit of a son of the devil? Because there's a difference between a son of God and a son of the devil. Amen. Hallelujah. When I get attacked in my body, that's the first thing I say. There's a difference between a son of the devil and a son of God. I'm not a son of the devil. I'm a son of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You've got to understand the difference, okay? All right, so as we look at this board, I'd love using the board, but I haven't been using it. <clears throat> we begin to see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we begin to see that, and as we saw last week, that the earth was created and the hosts. How many remember that scripture uh, found in the second chapter of the book of Genesis? The host. So God created an entire host realm, an army that was to ensure, protect, and watch over the physical creation that was the world earth realm in which we were supposed to be a part. So there was not just a visible creation, but an invisible creation surrounding the visible creation. Do you understand that? So that will tell you this. Spielberg had it wrong in 1977. We have never been alone. We have never been alone. And we're not looking at galaxy-bound travelers visiting the earth. We are seeing and peering in to an angelic realm, an army that was created by God surrounding the earth realm. And the reason why they're letting you see it it's because they want to deceive you. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll touch on that here in a little bit. All right. 
Okay, you got two more minutes? Okay, all right. So notice this, that when we see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there's a period there. Okay? So in the Scripture, from one sentence to the other, from one period to the start of another sentence, could be hundreds of years. Let me prove it to you. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Let's go to Daniel. If I could find it, I'd be very blessed. Daniel. I believe it is going to be... Chapter 11. Now, most people will say that in between the Testaments, there was 430 silent years. How many have ever heard that? Between the Testament. Did you know that's not true? Hundreds of years before, God told Daniel in the 11th chapter what was going to go on in between the Testaments. And it's all found in the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel. I mean, he talks about, listen, anybody like 300? Did you know 300's in this? Did you know that uh, uh, various people that we study about in history are in the 11th chapter? If you'll study it out, Cleopatra's in there. This is hundreds of years before they even existed. God knows the end from the beginning. Amen? And so when we look at this, let's look at verse number 2. It says, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong... Through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Now, this is, this is the 300 story, okay? This is basically the 300 story. And so, um, and then, now, it has a period there before verse 3. And then it says, then a mighty king shall arise, okay? That's 150 years. From the period after Greece... To verse number 3 where it says then 150 years. So that shows us that there are, from one verse to the next, can have a gap in between it. Are you with me? So when we go back to Genesis 1.1, we say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period, And then it says, the earth was. The word was there is very different. It's very different. It's the word heia in the Greek. Not the song, but heia. Okay? And it means became. The earth became. So there was something that happened that caused the earth to become a certain way. We know in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became. It became something, okay? Well, what did it become? It became without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, most people have translated this as the primordial soup that brought back all of creation. No, this is a already created thing that has been brought into absolute and utter destruction. It has been totally void of life, void of ability to be what it was originally intended to be. It became something. It's describing chaos. Okay? So that's the reason why we have this. We have the original creation, and then we have absolute and utter chaos. Okay? you got a few more minutes. How did that chaos come about? Well, we were going to look at Job 38, and let's look over there in Job the 38th chapter. Did you bring your Bibles today? 
Amen. All right. Job 38. And starting with verse number 4. Now this is when God appears to Job after all of his cries out to God, even his belly aching as to what he's going through, and his ideas of what he's going through, God clarifies and corrects him. And he basically says this, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So he's talking about the foundations of the earth. He's talking about this Genesis 1-1. Where were you at Genesis 1-1? Where were you in the beginning, Job, is what he's saying. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Now notice this next verse, very important. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So it's telling you that the angelic realm was created before the earth. So there was a realm of sons of God. Now what is a son of God? A son of God is a direct creation of God. We as Adamites are not sons of God. We are sons of Adam. Because the Bible says in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis that Adam begat Seth and he was in the likeness of Adam. Adam was in the likeness of who? He was an imager. But because of the corruption that was on the inside of him, he gave that corruption over to Seth. And Seth gave that corruption over to his son. And on and on and on until today. Okay? So Adam was a direct son of God. These angels as so-called, actually we need to call them Elohim because that's what the Bible calls them. These Elohim were created as sons of God because they were a direct creation of God. The angelic realm is male. There are no female. They weren't created for necessarily procreation amongst themselves. However, they were created with seed. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Not, not today, but... Okay? So they're created before, so they understand all of the physics that went into this place. They understand the ins and outs. In fact, in the book of Job, <clears throat> the first chapter, God begins to assemble his angels around, and Satan comes in. And he says, where have you been? He said, I've been up and down. East and west. North and south. In and out of this earth. They know everything. They know how it works. That's the reason why they can give false signs and false wonders. Oh, I'm going to shut down with this, guys. Do you remember when Jesus was on the boat going to the Gadarin, going to Gadara to see the demonized man? And it said a great tempest began as he's about midway through. Great tempest. And it was not a storm that was on the regular agenda because sailors don't sail. If there's some indication that there's going to be storm or weather, they just won't do it. And guess what? Majority of Jesus' disciples, at least four of them, were schooled fishermen. They were fishermen. So this storm came up out of nowhere. In fact, the Greek tells that. It just came up suddenly. There, he's asleep. Because that's not on his agenda. His agenda is to go to the other side. So he's asleep. You know, we can have a lot to learn about that, you know. It's not on our agenda. This storm isn't part of my agenda, so I'm, I'm just going to go through. So he's asleep, but the disciples are believing that they're going to perish in the storm and that the master, and they, aren't, we, aren't they just like us? And the master don't care. I'm hurting here and you don't care. I'm going through this and where are you at? 
And so they actually have Jesus in the boat with them, so they go and rile him up and say, Carest thou that we perish? And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. It clearly says that. He rebukes the wind and the waves. The word rebuke isn't, I rebuke you, wind and waves. That's not what he did. People think that. Well, I just rebuke him. I rebuke you. No, to rebuke means to chide, to, to belittle, to demean. It's trash talk. That's what it is. It's, it's talking to the situation like you would an opponent. And he calls them by name. He rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves. If you look up those two words, those are God's. He says, you're not going to sink us. You back off now. You have no right. You have no authority. He began to speak and chide these spirits that have brought about this storm. So it goes back to the 38th chapter. They saw creation. They understand the dynamics. They understand thermodynamics. They understand nuclear capability. They understand the nucleus and the building blocks of creation. They can manipulate it. And that's the reason why when he created the heavens and the earth and the host there, that we're not just dealing with a seen realm, we're dealing with an unseen realm. And that everything that's coming across your life right now and trying to force you into something that you don't want to do or in a situation that you don't want to be in, there are outside forces that are invisible to you that are creating that pressure. But I'm here to tell you when Jesus was raised from the dead, He destroyed that system. For the believer, not for the Adamite. The Adamite is still under. That's the reason why most people say, oh, it didn't work for me. Well, are you born again? Are you a new creation? Have you renewed your mind? Because some people like to take a little Jesus with them, just like a lucky rabbit's foot. That's not what it is. You have to be identified with one or the other. In Adam, all die. You're subject to the law of sin and death. But in Christ, you've been made alive. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That means that Jesus holds the keys to your life. He holds the keys for everybody. Everybody, through His atoning sacrifice, can receive. But many continue to stay in Adam. (coughs) Isn't it amazing that we think that in Adam, we can educate ourselves out of Adam? You can't educate yourself out of Adam. You can't religiously educate yourself out of Adam. Adam's a slave. He's beholden to his master and father, Satan. But praise God, you got emancipation. You got freedom. Jesus said, whom the Son has set free is free Indeed. Amen. 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 Freedom through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and give Him praise for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus came to create a new species of being. A new creation nation. Out of every tribe, out of every kindred, out of every tongue, that is the body of Christ. They chided them in the first century and called them Christians or Christians, which means little Christ. And it was meant to be negative. Nothing could be. You know, the devil, he, he doesn't know when he's saying a bad thing or a good thing sometimes. But he was saying the right thing. He was saying the truth. That the body of Christ are little Christ. Because notice, 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 we're called in Christ. It never says 
In Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? In Christ Jesus. Christ is always the, the, the thing we need to look at. What does Christ mean? Anointed. See, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But Christ, His anointing, is in every believer. Amen? So as Christ walked the earth with the disciples for three and a half years, He has continued to walk the earth through His disciples. Amen? Hallelujah. God is good. Amen? Did you get anything out of that? We've got, a lot, we've got a lot to cover. Is that too much for you? Are you okay? All right. We're going to continue along this lines. I believe it will put some meat on your bones. Amen? But there's just a lot of fallacies that people have in regards to God. And there has been a serious smear campaign against the Lord to get, he, get you to accept the fact that He put cancer on you or He killed your loved one or took your baby. There's no, no truth to it. The earth was given to man. Satan realized that, and he understood in order to get that authority, he had to take it from the man. And that's what it is. It's man and Satan in conjunction together that is bringing about all the abnormalities and all of the problems. The Bible says, through one man, death entered into the world. Death is everything we're swimming in as physical creations. We are living in an atmosphere of death. It is only what Christ has done within us, that life. Amen? We have treasure in earthen vessels. What's on the inside of us is greater than anything on the outside of us. Amen? Greater is He who is in me than he that's in the world. Do you believe that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope that you stay warm today. And we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday night, having a great teaching on the book of Galatians. That will be a great blessing to you. We have ministers that will be up here to assist you in any prayer need that you might have. If you need to get right with God, you need to do so. They're going to be up here to pray with you. We also have these altars. We have communion elements. You can take care of whatever you need right here, one-stop shop right here. Don't walk out the same way that you came in. Amen? God bless you. You're dismissed.